Welcome to Season 6 of The Farcast, bringing you insight, Wall Street, Washington, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. I'm so glad you could join us again this week as we begin our first first episode of season six of the forecast if you can believe it there have been no citations there have been no arrests so (laughs) far they haven't caught us and figured out you know where our broadcasting studio happens to be we are really grateful to all of you who have listened for so many years for your kind feedback for your notes it is terrific please share us on the social media keep it up here we go into season six markets have been pulling back The Federal Reserve continues its chorus of, we really mean it this time, we really, really do. And it looks like folks are starting to believe them. Interest rates certainly have gone higher, over 4% on the 10-year Treasury briefly this morning, and then rallied right back down to the 370-something or other level. Jeremy Siegel is the new poster boy for the Fed really stinks, we really hate him. They're doing a lousy job. They need to pause. And everything under God's green sun here uh, is uh, Jay Powell's fault. It's not the fault of those politicians, folks, who eased and added trillions of dollars of stimulus that saved the economy during the pandemic shutdown. No, they don't want to be responsible for any of this. It's all that idiot Powell. And I said on television yesterday, I'm not so sure, one, that Powell's an idiot, And number two, that he's responsible for all of this. I don't want to say that he's gotten everything right, but there was a lot more he could have gotten wrong, I promise. And I don't think he's doing an awful job. He's got inflation that is still well above, well above the current cost of money. We still have negative rates. We still have wage inflation. Is it slowing? It seems to be. Everybody wants to say peak inflation. Maybe inflation has peaked. Maybe inflation hasn't peaked. Maybe it's pulled back a little bit and it's going to soar again. You know that in January, all of our senior citizens, about 20% of the U.S. population gets a 10% raise in their Social Security checks. That's stimulus, folks. They've got purchasing power. All those old people are rushing right out to Walgreens and spending that money on, you know, whatever it is we uh, do at this age of life, but we spend most of our money at the drugstore now, I can tell you, as I get older. Uh, as we figure out getting older, we're going to ask Polkari about that too. He's going to be our first guest. But finally, folks, I just want to say that the Fed is intent on doing what they need to do. Uh, I know that Jeremy Siegel thinks that they should slow down and ease. There are other folks who don't agree with him. Dr. Jeffrey Lacker thinks that weights have to go up past through 5% on Fed funds in order to achieve a neutral rate. That might be what it takes to tame inflation and get to zero. We will see. But all of these narratives that just might suit what you want to happen are nice. They just don't happen to be worth a whole lot. You have to watch what the Fed's going to do. And I guess as everybody seems to be getting more negative and rushing to the same side of the boat, I worry when everybody gets on the same side of the boat. But The most dangerous place to be is on the other side of the boat from the Federal Reserve. You want to be in a safer spot? Get on the Fed's side of the boat. Figure out which side of the boat the Federal Reserve is on and get on that side. Whether you agree with them, whether you don't agree with them, whether you think Jay Powell's an idiot or not, this is a very powerful guy. Be on Jay Powell's side. What do you do with markets that are falling and that are this kind of violent and volatile? What do I do? I turn to my great friend, Kenny Polcari, CEO of Case Capital Advisors, for years the voice of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we're so glad when it comes to starting season six, we get to start with my friend, Kenny. Welcome back, Kenny, to season six of the Farcast. Can you believe it? Mikey, 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 that was wonderful. So I've got a couple of comments about that. So yes, I cannot believe that season six is here. I'm excited to be uh, your your first guest on the first episode of season six. I suspect I'm going to hold that spot for season seven, season eight, season nine as well. So I'm just forewarning you, you and Harry. You know, you're not getting any younger. I mean, I do worry. You know, <laughs> I'll be lucky if I'm here for season. I'll be lucky if I'm here for season seven. <laughs> 
Hey, listen, I want to say one thing. I hear you. I Your speech, I think, was great, but I have to say one thing. I'm not blaming Jay Powell 100% for, for, for where we are now, but I do have to say, uh, you know, I think the politicians have to take, have to take uh, some of the responsibility, but I'll be honest with you, and we've had this conversation. I think that but when when Jay Powell and the Fed had said for months that when inflation uh, pierced their two percent target, they would they would then start to change and move on monetary policy. Well, that happened in April of 2021 when it went from one point six to three point one percent in one month. And then the next month, it went to three point eight percent. The next month, it went from four point two percent. OK, now we're starting to see a trend after two or three months. And they refused refuse yes. to consider that it was anything other than transitory when you and i and everyone else is listening to this went out in the world went to the supermarket went to the gas station went to go buy things recognized that something was changing yes. and the fed kept stimulating through the end of the year saying don't worry we got it we got it we got it when you and i both know uh, 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 uh. so yeah. i right. think we're in a little bit of a worse situation because they didn't listen to their own to their own narrative. They didn't say, listen, because they could have done very gently. They could have done 25 basis points very gently starting in, uh, even if they started in September of 2021, even if they started three or four months after because they wanted to see the trend, we wouldn't be where we are today because they did it right up through the end of the year. They stimulated, stimulated, stimulated because they didn't want to disrupt the end of last year. They wanted it to be a great year. You know, the new administration, look what we've done, blah, blah. And, and now I think uh, because of that, it's exacerbated where we are now. So uh, while I think Jay Paul is a good guy, I do not think he's a dummy at all. But I, I have to say I am disappointed because I don't think they listened to their own to their own narrative when they when they when they spoke about it. But, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, Kenny, I do think that's an excellent point, because you and I have talked about this for the past couple of years as we were going through it. Right. We said data dependent. And right. here you have the data. And we are seeing this. And we said that we thought the Fed was too dovish for too long, too right. dovish for too long. We said right. it for a long time. They should have done more. They should have done it sooner. Sooner. And then, you know, Josh Brown pointed out, you know, that they that that this has been a, just a, like a huge fire drill here, ringing the alarm bells here as they're raising these rates in 2022. And and I kind of agree that the messaging, not only the messaging, got messed up. You go back to January. Fed's still saying we need to increase rates. We're really going to do it this time. We're going to start at the end of March. And they start with this 25 basis point hike. And then a week later, they go, oh, we need to have five more hikes. And then, right. I mean, days after that, they're saying we need 50 basis points at the next meeting. And then we need 75 basis points at the next meeting. And all of a sudden, you know, now we're in this. Uh, what wasn't didn't seem to matter. And we've been going to be patient and data dependent is now this uh, all on fire drill. So I don't think they've done that very well. But, right. but I don't think it's as awful as they haven't been as awful as folks say. Uh, I mean, everybody wants to say they're the whole problem and that they should all be fired. And uh, one of the folks on CNBC said yesterday, they need a more intuitive approach. Oh, crap. The last thing we need is an intuitive Federal Reserve. At least we <laughs> please God get them to look at the numbers. Well, look, I hear you, and I hope that um, you a know, more intuitive approach, a more intuitive <laughs> approach for the Federal Reserve. Why in the hell would you have a Federal Reserve if you needed an intuitive <laughs> approach? You'd hire a medium, you know. You'd hire Sister Ruth out there who goes, "Hey, Mom, hey. I'm seeing your future." Great. Listen, Mikey, I can see your blood pressure is elevating. You know, you're 61. You better slow down, there. I want you to be here for season seven. Otherwise, I'm going to have I, to I take over the podcast. An intuitive Fed could tell me here, Kenny. So, uh, okay, so listen, uh, Art, uh, Art Cashin says we're due for a little bit of a violent rally. It started, it looks like today it could carry on for a couple of days. Does yeah. this hold? Do we reverse? Where does this market end up? So I don't think it holds. I will I will appreciate the ride up. If we have a couple of days with the markets up, I think that'll be uh, a little bit of a relief. But my concern is, and you know this, that we're, we're going to start third quarter earnings season in two weeks. And I think that the market is going to recognize that there's a lot of companies out there that are going to miss or they're going to start to pre-announce. Uh, and they're going to they're going to blame it on a couple of things. They're going to blame it on the really strong dollar, which just wants to go straight up. And that's going to impact the big multinationals. Now, look, that's not necessarily a secret. 
Anyone who's in the market as an investor recognizes that the strong dollar will negatively impact. The weaker dollar will positively impact. We understand that. But what I think is not in these estimates is I don't think that the current strength of the dollar was built into the estimates that are out there. And so therefore it's gonna look as if somebody's asleep at the wheel, that the CFO wasn't paying attention or analysts weren't paying attention. And then when they start to miss the number and they blame it on the strong dollar, everyone's gonna say, yeah, okay, but how come you did not recognize this isn't this isn't, you know, this isn't rocket science. That's elementary part of the part of the analysis. You should have warned or you should have been more aware that you, this was going to even make a bigger impact based on what you're telling us you're going to earn. And that's where I think. Folks, this is a really good point that Kenny is making. This is an important point. And and let's just drill down. And and, and I'm sorry for those who are very sophisticated in our audience. I I don't want to leave behind those who are saying, trying to think, figure out what Kenny's talking about. If you are a multinational company, Let's uh, let's say you're McDonald's and right. you've got Coca-Cola. sales. You've got sales in Europe. Okay, you got sales in Europe. You would say, sell in euros, and then you get to transfer that money back into the U.S. But right now, you're transferring a euros one euro sale into ninety seven cents U.S. It used to be. It used to be that you know you you would uh transfer that back to a dollar 30 US your 1 euro would come back to a dollar 30 US and it looked made earnings look great now it's going the other way when you see currencies getting strong does that really hurt McDonald's and their overall operations and their margins and everything else probably not because they're sourcing their beef and french fries and labor in euros okay it's only in this translation back but Kenny's right it is going to hurt. It's going to impact all of the multinationals, everybody from, you know, Procter and Gamble and PepsiCo and everybody, all the international banks, everybody that's got international operations and reports in the U.S. is going to see this impact. So messaging is important. If there's one thing that Kenny and I could say, and uh, we've not talked about this before, KP, but uh, you and I, I think, would counsel CEOs everywhere that you've got to communicate better. Yes. You've got to tell us that this is going to happen. That's we right. can, you can't just sit there and think we're going to figure it out on our own. You've got to tell the investor, look, this is going to be, we expect earnings are going to be impacted by a stronger currency by this percentage point. This is going to continue. And we have a plan. We have a plan and a strategy for dealing with the strong currency. And here's what it is. If you act surprised, we are going to sell your stock and you're going to wish you'd never listed the damn thing. Okay. And that's, exactly the point. And that's what I'm afraid, unless they start to pre-announce it. Look, we started the last couple of weeks with FedEx, with Ford, with, you know, even uh, some of the banks. A lot of these big companies have indicated and have and have adjusted their estimates, right? Do they get hit? Yeah, they get hit. But I'll tell you something. They, they got hit a little bit less than they're going to get hit if they wait until earnings day and go, oh, and by the way, you know, that strong dollar, yeah, that hit us harder too. The Boom. And then investors are going to do exactly what you said. They're going to wish they were never listed. Well, and the other thing that they have to do is they have to tell us they've got a strategy for recession. (laughs) Folks, FAR has been telling you, as you know, we're going into recession. FAR started saying this about a year ago. I think a recession is very likely. And then I turned up the heat as we got to the winter. And now we're going into recession. Okay, it's a recession. Right. And the guy at FedEx who says it's a global recession and everybody says, oh, man, he's just such a crepe hanger and he's awful. Well, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to think about it, but he might not but, be wrong because right. Europe is suffering and their energy costs are dying. Their labor costs. Look what's happening in the UK. What a boneheaded move that is to yep. start stimulating an economy that's already suffering from inflation. Right. Why do you do that, Kenny? But so uh, we go into a recession here. CEOs, you can't be surprised by the recession and you've got to have a strategy and tell us you've got a plan and that you were expecting it. It's messaging again, right, Kenny? Right. It's all about the messaging, you know. And then when you hear Brian Deese get up in front of the economic club, Brian Deese, who's a member of the of the president's economic council, get up and say, oh, no, we're not going into a recession. There is no indication we're going into a recession. That is so tone deaf. It's almost arrogant to say that because I, in, in my mind, we're already in a recession. We've already started the recession. We've had two negative quarters of GDP growth. Okay, so the employment data don't match. You've got a couple of numbers here that don't match. Right. 
Let me tell you, it's flapping its wings, right. it's waddling and it's quacking. What do that's, you want to call it? That's right. That's right. And so that's what I think is going to cause kind of the next downdraft. Now, the next downdraft to me doesn't mean, you know, light your hair on fire and run out the window and that's it. It just means there's going to be more tur turmoil ahead, right? That you shouldn't necessarily think that what happened in the last five days is kind of it and it's over. There needs to be that day. And I actually thought that it was going to be today after what after what the boneheads in your language did in in the uk right i thought today was going to be the day that we could have seen a capitulation in the u.s markets because it, it, it's going to ring it out now as ugly as uncomfortable as that's going to be um i think after what we're what we've been going through and what we're in the middle of there has to be a day when it just feels like that's it. People have had it, and they and they and it's a wash. It's a big out, toilet right? flush, right? right? I mean, you it's hear that big out. flushing, whooshing sound. KP, I'm out of time, of course, because I talked too long at the beginning, and and we're still over. But this is really interesting stuff, okay. Kenny. Uh, yep. How do we get through? Tell Fred and Ethel what so they need to do. You can uh, subscribe to my daily newsletter, which is just a freebie that I put out to talk more about. Uh, I read it every day. I read it every day. It's part of my required reading. I read you and Greg Valliere every morning before I check the Wall Street Journal. Uh, well, I think that's great. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to call Harry because we need to finish this next week, have another conversation. You have to talk less and I have to talk more. No, no, no. No, this has been perfect, actually. This, is, this has been perfect. Kenny was going to tell you, Fred and Ethel, that you want to own high-quality things, that this too will pass. And five yeah. years from now, we'll look back on it and go, yeah, that was bad. And it won't feel as bad as it feels right, right. now. And that, that's as usual, I'm... the chaos creates opportunity for those that are patient enough and have the stomach, right? That's you have to does. be disciplined, have to be dispassionate and know that you're going to be here for the long term. Kenny Polcari is the CEO of Case Capital Advisors, my very good friend, starting us off the right way on the right foot season six. Thank you, Kenny. <laughs> All right. Hang on, folks. We're going to have Dan Mahaffey see what he can get us started with right after this. Thank you for joining us this week on the Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining us now, as he does every week, but this is the first time he's ever done this. First time he's ever done this, folks. Joined us for season six. Joined us for season six. The great, the brilliant, the famous... Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst now for season six. Did I mention that? Of the Farcast. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you, Michael. Great as always to be talking with you. And I think you forgot the in in front of famous. It's infamous, I, I fear. Listen, as long as they spell your name right, huh? As long as they spell uh, the name right. Uh, Dan, uh, there's a vote for government funding today. Uh, the... Um, Republicans who used to like Joe Manchin are not voting with him this time. Uh, Vladimir Putin seems to be trying to still increase the number of chips on the table uh, in a very losing, seem to be a losing game, and he just keeps pushing more ships forward. Not sure that works well in Vegas. And then uh, uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden was looking for Jackie yesterday. Uh, the former congresswoman who passed away in August, uh, for whom the president had ordered the White House flags lowered to half staff. Uh, so uh, a mo difficult moment for the president where people were questioning uh, his cognitive abilities, as, as is uh, always kind of going on in the background here. Uh, I, I guess we don't cut. I mean, if you're 80 and you're the president of the United States, you don't get any slack. Most 80 year olds, if they forget something, you know, you say, well, yeah. She's 80. He's 80. That's you just you know, that's going to happen from time to time. Hard for that to happen when you're the president of the United States. Dan, let's start with this government funding because the government's running out of funding again. Technically, we've got another one of these votes. What happens? Well, we're coming up to the end of the calendar. And I think what we're seeing today is critical. The Senate leadership is going to try and negotiate the the typical continuing resolution. Uh, question seems to be one. When can they get this on the calendar? Because technically we we do run out of funding at the, you know, the fiscal year runs out. So the timing is there. Can they make this deal? No one wants to shut down government. The politicians rather get home and be on the campaign trail right now. So, look, I think there's going to be a deal. We just don't see it yet. 
uh, and and probably not a lot of appetite. And not, and again, this is a continuing resolution. There's nothing huge here that they can add to this. You know, it generally keeps government open. We've pulled away anything controversial from it. You know, there may be some more Ukraine funding attached to this. But look, mansions permitting reforms, that's not part of this. Anything that was you know, controversial or complicated has been stripped away from this. I think it's really down to just the logistics of getting the vote and how long this lasts. Can this get through the holidays so they don't have to do another one before the election? I think that's the goal. It's just getting the leaders in the room to make it happen. Joe Manchin used to be pretty popular uh, with the Republicans and all of a sudden not so much in there uh, fighting him. Now, tell me what's going on. Why? What happened with poor, uh, poor uh, Senator Manchin? Well, look, Manchin got the, you know, was the fulcrum, as it were, of the Senate and made this Inflation Reduction Act, a spending bill called the Inflation Reduction Act, a uh, made that a reality. It did not endear him to Republicans who thought he was holding the, the bulwark on uh, spending, and it did not endear him to progressives during this whole process, who we know wanted something far larger and more expansive. Now, part of this deal was to have permitting reform, to speed up uh, energy pipelines and you know get rid of the environmental or, or streamline some of those processes. You know, Manchin felt that this was important for any kind of energy uh, infrastructure, green energy, existing energy, you need to speed up this process. That deal has been pulled from this, and I think that's going to be punted because progressives weren't happy about anything weakening environmental standards as they see it. Even if you do, you know, they can't get over the hump that you do need construction to, to get green energy. Uh, but at the same time, Republicans didn't want to give him another win on permitting, uh, given that he'd also you know, somewhat in their sense, yeah. burned them on the Inflation Reduction Act. All right. So this is Wallace, this is Washington politics, tit for tat, kind of normal Correct. stuff. And really, none of this, is, uh, it, it doesn't seem, will affect markets. Uh, funding's going to go through, no problem. Uh, mansion's off to the sidelines. Uh, we uh, uh, see Vladimir Putin raising the stakes over uh, in the war against Ukraine, which they seem to be losing. What is he doing? And is there anything shifting there? And is mm -hmm. it possible, uh, do you think, that Vladimir Putin could be out of office in, in a few months? Well, I don't think that would be the the likely case. I think there's still a uh, apparatus that keeps him in power, but this, you're getting the sense that he's far in, in far less control of this, um, even though as he seems to be wanting to take more direct control of the conflict. Uh, we talked about this in the... Um, you know, in greater detail, I would tell folks not much has changed, at least in Putin's thinking, I would imagine, since we had the excellent finale for last season. Um, but what I will say is what we've seen with the Nord Stream pipelines uh, and this, you know, sabotage, I think the Europeans are very confident on this because you don't have pipelines spring three explosive leaks simultaneously. That's uh that's sign of a pretty deliberate action. So what does that know, tell you? So what does that tell you? The 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 the, the sabotage that's gone on on the Nord Stream pipeline? Well one, it's it's simply it makes it a mess for those countries nearby. The Danes, the Swedes, the other Baltic countries have to deal with this mess. Who's responsible for the sabotage? I think you know that's the thing is we may never know, but if you look at who's who's likely to do it. I think it is the Russians. Um, and I think it's also a signal, one, that we are we are done on the energy side. There's no going back, uh, you know, which in some ways I, I find counterproductive because it's, it's like Cortez burning his ships when he came to the New World. And the Europeans are now forced to look elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but it also, I think, is a warning we forget that the Russians have very significant undersea capabilities. It is probably one of the few areas where they are truly equal to the West in some of the technology. Now, perhaps not as numerous, but still quite capable. And this is a signal that they could also attack other pipelines, offshore oil platforms, or even uh, undersea fiber optic cables that are so vital for communication. What happens with Vladimir Putin through all of this? Well, I think he continues to see this shrinking inner circle of hardliners, and I think what they're trying to do is simply uh, freeze the conflicts, try and establish that control they have over the Black Sea coast, Crimea, 
the what they can hold on to of those eastern provinces. And as my colleague said last week, there's a difference between ending fighting and ending the war. If we get to a point where we've stopped fighting, and what we do is we simply get into this pattern where we we dig in, both sides will dig in, rearm. We see the Russians trying to re-equip re with this mobilization. Um, all of those things suggest that you know this is going to go on for much longer. And if we had to perhaps be writing the history of the Ukraine war, that the the success of the Ukrainian counteroffensive that we saw uh, earlier in in August into September, as well as the the Russian mobilization marked, as we say, the end of the beginning of the war in Ukraine. So, and I'm also hearing that uh, the the U.S. Um, and Europe are running out of weapons to send Ukraine. Now, come yes, on. that's a what that's a major mean? issue. We we look. This has been an issue that has been raised by defense planners, and I'm not talking about significant wars. Like when we bombed Libya uh, back in the Obama administration, there were shortfalls on certain weapons we needed at the time that people were raising red flags about. During the Kosovo war air campaign, we began to run short on munitions. We don't have the purchasing or manufacturing right now to think of building these on a wartime footing. Some of these weapons aren't even built anymore. They're still Cold War stocks that we're drawing down. So, look, I know I, uh, Bill LaPlante in the pen, this is inside baseball. Bill LaPlante is the head purchaser, as it were, for the Pentagon. He's been speaking about this to industry, uh, trying to get them, uh, you know, on a, you know, what do we need to do on a, on a better footing? Uh, and I think, you know, that is something where we continue to see both in the U.S. and Europe that it's going to be an opportunity time for these defense companies. Wow. Uh, so you're, you're, you're telling me the United States really is all of a sudden strapped for weapons. Could this be something that uh, Xi Jinping is all of a sudden, uh, you know, licking his lips over, if you will, saying, geez, they don't they're not going to have much capacity to defend Taiwan if they keep this stuff up. Well, not currently, because at least with, you know, the Ukrainians were not fighting Russian ships. You know, it would be a different type of war. Uh, you know, we're not fighting a naval war. But that does raise the question now, what is, you know, plan in peace for those times of war? What is our naval sustainment? What would that look like? Because I don't imagine, based on the conversations I've had, that it would look much better than what we're seeing on the land side. Well, and a naval sustainment, if you if if if, if you will, China, uh, I, I believe, has at least the navy we have, if not larger. Does it not? I mean, China has a huge navy, and it has a huge navy, and you also you can incorporate in all their civilian trawlers and fleets that they incorporate in that they would mobilize. And as a matter of fact, I saw. Uh, just yesterday, satellite footage of a of an exercise they were doing where they were using a civilian car ferry. So one that would look like, you know, like you would take your car across the, the bay yeah. somewhere. Yeah. They've got one of their massive car ferries that looks civilian, but has attachments to work with the military hardware and start offloading tanks should they want to do that. Um, so uh, this is a uh, China clearly as a naval uh if, if, if competitor is something competitor, we, yeah, we can't let's thank you for the word competitor yeah. i did i don't want to say enemy but competitor yeah. uh i don't want to use that enemy word it sets the wrong tone uh now that i've said it three times um uh, so but 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 yes competitor this they're very powerful and we so we've got to really ramp up the military now this is one of those things ladies and gentlemen where investors should put should really sort of pay attention because it does mean uh, that no matter what, a person in Congress from either party will ultimately vote for the defense of the United States. They, they, if they're going to get elected to dog catcher, they're going to keep you safe. So uh, that funding will come. We've got a lot of funding now, but it could increase. And we want to take a look at who's manufacturing all of that stuff and those government contractors, everything from the big ones to the little ones we need to look at closely. What else, Stan, would we take from what we're seeing in Russia? And then I just want to move quickly. Oh, I've got to move quickly to uh, this hurricane and what it means for Ron DeSantis. So finish up. Yeah. With, finish up no, with. I think what it shows is that the 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 Russians are still trying to fight the last war, thinking that quantity and mass can be applied. And look, you see the destruction of those Ukrainian cities, uh, but you also see how the Ukrainians using modern tactics and equipment can prevail. 
We just have to figure out that sustainment question and those long-term questions of, of strategy and wealth. And, and I think we need to figure them out sooner rather than later. And please, folks, don't. Uh, this is just a, I don't know why I'm wasting my breath, but please don't politicize this one. This one's this. There's certain things that go above politics. Dan, coming up, I, I do want to talk to you. Let's let's make sure we talk next week about what's going on with Social Security. This mm-hmm. COLA increase that's coming in January means that every senior citizen, everybody 65 and over who's receiving Social Security, some of them receiving Social Security at age 62, some receiving spousal benefits from someone who's already deceased, and they might even be younger than that, 10% or more increase in Social Security payments. This is like a whole new other stimulus program, folks. Congress can't vote against it. Congress doesn't vote about it. This is spending that's mandatory. And what is it going to mean for the budget that's now we've got well over $30 trillion in debt? What does it mean? Yeah, we need to bring that all together. And as interest rates are going up, the cost of servicing the debt, all these things are coming together in a way that we can have a great conversation about that next week. Let's do that next week uh, as we try and figure out what that's going to mean. What's that going to mean for the consumer? And what's that going to mean with all that money coming in to a Federal Reserve trying to fight inflation? You know, uh, we're going to talk with Dr. Jay Bryson in our next segment. I'm so excited to talk with him. He's so smart. I always learn so much from Jay. But uh, the UK just said they're going to be buying bonds and buying bonds and stimulating and doing everything they can to stimulate their economy while they're trying to fight inflation. This is the dumbest thing you've seen anybody do. And everybody who's who even uh, sniffed at being an armchair economist knows that this is a dumb boneheaded move. If you're you're causing a problem and solving it at the same time. Uh, so uh, you got firefighters on one side and you got folks pouring gasoline on the fire on the other. Some you got to get your act together. Okay, uh, so we've got Social Security mandatory. We're going to put more money out into the economy. You see, folks, while Jay Powell's trying to take it away, what's going to happen? And doesn't that increase the size of Jay Powell's problem? Uh, let me answer it real clearly. Yes. Okay. Finally, Ron DeSantis, give me one, give me 30 seconds. I'm, I'm out of time. I'm sorry. Look, ultimate test for a political leader is a hurricane. How he handles this as the governor of Florida, I think, key for his 2024 goals. As a matter of fact, I was just down there before leaving the getting out before the storm uh, for a business trip. You notice how he's become far more professional, less political while handling this uh, big for his reelection as governor and his 2024 prospects. I did see a uh, I did see a, a meme that someone sent me uh, that showed the path of the hurricane circumventing the tip of Florida and going straight up the east coast uh, in this path straight up the east coast and the uh, caption was DeSantis has ordered the hurricane to uh, bypass Florida and go straight to Martha's Vineyard, oh. uh, which <laughs> it's funny. I'm not. Come on, it's funny. You can't. I understand, <laughs> but it's funny. Okay, yeah. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency Congress, our senior political analyst on the forecast. You and I are going to Phoenix next week. No, the week after, Dan. Week We're going to speak at a conference for Hightower Advisors, uh, and it's going to be. Uh, I'm looking forward to that too. We'll be back next week uh, with Dan, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back with Dr. Jay Bryson. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We appreciate you listening into the podcast this week. And now to introduce this week's special guest, here's your host, Michael Farr. 
Welcome back. Joining us now, one of our favorite guests and one of the smartest guys we ever get to talk to, my friend, Dr. Jay Bryson, who is the chief economist for Wells Fargo, uh, a very influential guy and a very insightful guy. Joining us also for the first, first uh, edition here of season six for the forecast. Jay, can you believe it? Six years we're doing, we're starting the sixth year right now, and you're, you're the best kickoff guy we can think of. Well, thanks, Michael. You know, time flies when you're when you're having fun, and um, these have always been fun. So, thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here, and it is fun, uh, and we learn so much. And as we we were saying uh, just before we started recording, folks, I wonder what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, that really hasn't been a problem. We were wondering how we were going to fill these twelve minute segments, and and boy, we run out of time every time. Uh, Jay, let's just start with a blank slate for you. I'm not going to lead the witness. Tell me what you think of the economy. Tell me what you think of the Fed. Where are we in this cycle? So if you look at the economy um, right now, the economy continues to expand despite looking at the GDP numbers. I mean, there's, you know, that's all because of an inventory swing and things of that nature. If you look at, I think a better way to measure it would be, say, the labor market. And in the last three months, we've created close to 400,000 jobs per month. Now, it's probably not going to be that strong in, um, in September, but, you know, we'll see. So if you're creating 300, 400,000 jobs per month, the economy is not in recession. And that's, you know, the, on the one hand, spoken as a true economist, um, you know, that's really good news. We're creating jobs. On the other hand, um, the economy is running pretty hot. We have an inflation problem right now. And I'll just stop it there. And we can, you know, we can follow up with this. But that's led to the Fed um, with a pretty significant reaction here. Why is why does the average American say that the economy is not good right now? Why do why do so many people we had Ken Polkari, Kenny Polkari on, he says, of course, we're in recession. We've had two negative prints in GDP. Things are slowing down. Uh, and you've got uh, Dr. Jeremy Siegel uh, ranting that the Fed is getting everything wrong and that they need to pause and they need to ease and that they're going too far. On the other hand, I talked to Dr. Jeffrey Lacker, former head of the Richmond Fed yesterday, who said, you've got to take Fed funds up to five and a half percent. We're still at negative real rates and significantly negative real rates, which are continuing to exacerbate inflation. Which camp are you in? The wait and see? What do you think? Are the American people right who feel that things aren't good? And why do they feel things aren't good? It's about well, six questions there. So what people do is they overreact to things they see every day, like gasoline prices. So if you look at some of the consumer sentiment numbers, those things plunged this summer when gasoline prices spiked. Now that the gasoline prices have come down, the consumer sentiment numbers have kind of have rebounded. But, you know, in general, we've got this inflation sort of issue right now. You know, Michael, you and I, um, you know, we both know we remember the 1970s, right? We're old enough to remember that. It kind of looks and feels like the 1970s right now. Remember Jimmy Carter's Malay speech? Oh, yeah. You oh, know? And, Jimmy, and Jimmy with his Jimmy with his sweater on in the White He's, House. His cardigan on, right? Yeah, we haven't yeah. done that. We he haven't done like that Mr. Yet. Rogers. All I thought was the president now looks like Mr. Rogers. I mean, yeah. I was a kid. I thought Jimmy Carter was such a nice man. I mean, I was 17 when he got elected. And I thought, this is a, he's a nice man. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we had this inflation problem. We have an inflation problem right now. And, and that's why people are reacting. Now, what's interesting, so you talk about how people feel badly. You look at the sentiment surveys. I, as an economist, what I've learned over the years is I don't pay so much attention to what people say. I look at what they do. Okay. okay, and so if you look at in the second quarter, we you know yes. uh, if you look at the, the the consumer spending in the second quarter grew. It, this is in real terms. This is volumes. It grew two yes. percent. People yes. felt it was the worst since 1979. Guess what? They're still out there spending right now, and you know we saw you see that in the July numbers. Uh, to, we're going to get a print soon um, on the August sort of numbers. We expect that to be positive. People say things are lousy but they're not behaving that way. Are you worried that the savings rate has fallen so dramatically? Yes, I am. 
I'm worried about the savings rate falling dramatically. I'm worried about credit card debt ramp, ramp, ramping up. Those, ramping two, up. Th those two things are not sustainable. And so I do believe the fact that, um, you know, you have that going on. So what, what's happening is inflation is running higher than what people's incomes are growing. And so in order to keep spending, people are bringing down their savings rates and they're jacking up their credit card debt. Those things are not sustainable. So well, it's, it's that plus the Fed is in overdrive right now. And so, Michael, I think, you know, next year, just, I think we're going to be in recession within yeah. six to nine months. I mean, a real recession, a yeah. real recession. Forget about GDP. GDP does not measure recessions. It's employment. That's one of the big things. Employment by next spring, I think, will be falling and we will be in recession at that point. Okay, and when employment starts to get falling, I, I, I want to come back. One, one point I'd just like to throw in here, folks, when I talk to CEOs now, and we've been talking about this for several months, it's part of their strategy. They're looking for pricing power. Investors have been looking for companies with pricing power because it's going to be the only way in an inflationary environment, if they can increase their prices, they can have a shot at maintaining their margins. What we're hearing from Dr. Bryson, that the consumer is still spending, even though the savings rate is falling and their debt is increasing and they're adding to their credit card debt so they can keep spending. They, you look at what it's called price elasticity. So there's a point at which you can't keep raising the price for a cup of Starbucks. I don't know what the price is because people are crazy about Starbucks, but maybe let's just say eight bucks. You're not going to pay eight bucks. People are going to stop buying. Maybe it's six bucks. Maybe it's four bucks. People, there's a price at which people will say no. And they call that price inelasticity. But I think there's something here called sentiment elasticity, where sentiment actually outruns capacity. Their spending capacity, they're outrunning their spending capacity now. They're continuing to spend. But that consumer will hit a wall, okay? That consumer will look at some point at that $6 price of coffee and say, no, I can't do it. And look at my credit card bill that I've got. And Jay's also further suggesting that both of those things aside, we're going to see unemployment start to increase probably in the beginning of 2023. I've heard, Jay, that somewhere around 5.5% unemployment gets you to that point where you sort of put a cap on wage inflation. And that's why people are throwing out that number to me at five and a half percent. It seems kind of arbitrary, but is there that sort of equilibrium number uh, for unemployment where wage inflation and pressure for wage inflation subsides? Because it seems to be a big worry of the feds. Well, so, so Michael, I, the short answer to your question is, I, I don't know where that, that is. I do know, though, that as uh, employment starts to contract, as workers don't have the bargaining power that they do right now, you will start to see wages start to decelerate. As a matter of fact, we already have seen that. You know, if you look at average hourly earnings a few months ago on a year over year basis, that was growing at six and a half percent. It's now growing at, you know, low fives. So the good news is it's come down by a percentage point. The bad news is it's still growing at a very, very high rate, which would, you know, continue to lead to inflationary pressures. But, you know, to your point about, you know, consumers finally saying no, I think, you know, that's 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 going to be happening in the months coming ahead. And so what you will start to see, and, and we've seen it already, uh, is you're starting to see margin compression. And I think you're going to continue to see that. And once margins start to become more and more squeezed, businesses don't want to let people go right now because it's really hard to find them. But once margins get squeezed enough, they're going to do what they need to do. And that is they're going to start to get rid of headcount. To, margin, to when you talk about margin compression, just to be really clear, you mean the profit margins largely for the S&P 500 companies, broad corporate America are going to see their costs rise to a point where they can't start. They can't keep charging you more and more for the cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, the, the, then they say, well, where can we cut costs in order to maintain a profit? And you're suggesting it's going to be the headcount. That's correct. Yep. Because for, for many for many companies, you know, some of the biggest the biggest cost is 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 um, labor. Labor. Now, said, I don't think this is a the recession that we're looking at. And I don't know if you can hear this. 
I'm knocking on wood right now. Um, yes, the recession that. that you know we think there's going to be for next year, we don't think this is a financial crisis sort of thing, right? Where the unemployment rate goes from four and a half percent to ten, right? You know, I'm, I'm thinking we're looking more at one and a half percentage point increase, maybe two. So it gets you into that mid five, you know, sort of range in terms of the unemployment rate. So in general, the labor market remains relatively tight. It's just not as tight as it is right now. How high do Fed's funds have to go? Is Jeff Lacker right? Five and a half percent? Well, so we're so we're under Jeff. We're at five ourselves in um, early next year. The market is only priced for about four and a half right now. So we're above the market. Um, so, But I think you know, what we learned over the last month, starting with Chairman Powell's speech at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, is the Fed is, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the Fed is going to do whatever it takes to rein inflation out of the economy. They are not going to repeat, but they don't want to repeat the mistakes of the 1970s. Because if inflation becomes really entrenched, then you've got to go through a really painful recession like we went through in the early 1980s to get rid of inflation. They would rather risk a modest downturn now rather than have this, you know, three three years from now, we're still talking about an 8% inflation rate. And then they've got to do something really dramatic at that point. Right, right. Okay, so Jay, uh, as we go through the uh, the end of the year here, uh, what would you what would you tell the average investor who's thinking about their savings rate when they they're going to get um, a, a pretty good increase, a lot of them in their social security checks in January? Uh, does that make the Fed's jobs harder? And and is that just going to help folks get through? I mean, 10% or more uh, increase in Social Security payments, the government can't be happy about that either. I mean, those bills are going higher for the U.S. debt. No, but and so it does it make the job, the Fed's job more difficult, I would say, on the margin. Right. I mean, you know, most people, um, you know, 60 percent of the um, work of the people who are 16 and older continue to work. Right. You know, so most consumer spending is done by people who are who are working. Right. And so, you know, if you if you're paying more to retirees, does that make the job of the Fed a little bit more difficult? Yes. OK, but they're not the big spenders out there in the economy. It's the people who are working and who are making relatively high incomes. That's that's where the big spending power in the economy is. And how about a final word for investors who are sort of scared about all of this? I would say talk to your financial advisors to uh, uh, to help guide you help guide you through this. But you know, That's Michael, kind of as, a answer. That's a pass the buck answer. <laughs> Ask the other guys. I got it. Yeah, on wow. my on my desk, like Harry, unlike Harry Truman, I have a sign that says the buck starts here, not uh, not stops here. Um, but uh, but no, you know, Michael, as you know, and I think you tell all your clients this. I mean, you don't want to be investing with emotion, right? No. You know? So, um, so you know, I think we're going to have a lot of volatility between now and the end of the year. And but don't invest with emotions, right? Have a plan. Talk to your financial advisor, and stick to the plan. Dr. Jay Bryson, managing director, chief economist for Wells Fargo. He's with the Federal Reserve Bank. He's a PhD in economics, and you hear why he's one of the smartest guys you'll ever hear. You see him on CNBC or any of the other news outlets. I'm not sure as a CNBC contributor that you should watch any of them. But uh, when you do, take it off a mute and listen to Jay Bryson. Jay, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. That's it for another forecast. First one of season six, folks. Thanks so much for being with us. Please share us on your social media. We really appreciate you having us in your lives each and every week. It's exciting to be back with you. And to all of our friends in Florida, uh, we wish you Godspeed. We hope that you are safe and that you recover. Uh, this has been a horrible storm down there. So God bless each of you. We'll be back next week. In Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, I'm Michael Farr. Have a good week. Well, folks, that's a wrap for the first episode of Season 6 from the Farcast. We hope you'll join us as we continue the season with more insight from Michael Farr and his guests. In coming weeks, we're scheduling special guests such as Shannon Satoshia, Tony Dwyer, and Dr. Jeffrey Lacker. 
And of course, we'll be hearing more from our regular guests that we all love, like Dan Mahaffey, Jim Urio, Kenny Polcari, and Jim Labenthal. We hope you enjoy the show as, as much as we enjoy making it for you. And please share with friends and colleagues. Barcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Barr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week, and you can reach us at hjennings at barmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed and provided in the podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farmiller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farmiller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a company or a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmiller.com. We are here to help. I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll be back with you next week. We'll be on the headlines each week with the partners. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for the statements or errors or omissions or results obtained for the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor or related questions.